all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Good morning to everybody on this overcast, sort of uh, foggy, rainy week. Man, we're just in the monsoon season here in Mississippi. As my son said yesterday, we were texting back and forth. He said, it's nice, good Scottish weather. So uh, that, that's from a runner there. So <laughs> it's nice to run in this weather, but uh, sometimes until you get soaked. But hope everybody is uh, is staying safe out there, and uh, you're probably anticipating spring. I know I'm uh, on all my online things to uh, look at what I could plant. I got a lot of work done over the weekend with a little good weather that we have in spurts. Um, but I hope everybody's taking advantage of that when you can. One of the things I tell my patients, you know, you don't have to be fancy with physical activity. You can uh, build that into your day, uh, build that into your regular routine. Of course, if you're uh, going out there and you want to rip up the hedges or, uh, uh, you know, take down a tree and you don't do that all the time, you might want to get a little bit of extra help with something like that. But uh, um, it's always good to do those kinds of things. And um, even walking is a great exercise, a lot of validation for that over the years with lots of studies. Um, parking a little bit further than you normally would rather than driving around that parking lot looking for the optimum spot right up front in the pole position. Uh, things like that can really make a big difference over the long term. And finding something that you like to do, that you enjoy to do, you're more likely to stick with that for the long term. So those are a couple of things that you uh, might can look at, particularly with spring right around the corner and uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, a lot more um, better weather so that we can enjoy those kinds of things. The number to call today uh, for your questions about any kind of health concerns that you might have about yourself, or maybe it's somebody in your family or a friend or a, a grandparent, grandson, granddaughter, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always send us an email. Um, that's always a good idea if you're, you know, if it's a longer discussion about something or you feel like you, you know, just don't want to share that over the air live, uh, you can always do that. The email address is, um, is remedy at mpbonline.org. We do um, look at those and, and respond to those as quickly as we can individually to the person who sent them. But then we also uh, like to uh, choose uh, some of those emails that we feel like would be good for our listening audience. And when we can't be here live, we sort of batch those together uh, and along with a couple of other uh, questions so that we can uh, we can get those out to everybody. All right, call in early. We always say that because we have lots of opportunity to do that early in the program. Once we get toward the latter half of the program, it gets a little crowded. We want to give everybody an equal opportunity to uh, call in. Let's go to Renee in Utica. Good morning, Renee. Good morning. Um, I have some 
a question about kidney issue. Uh, one is my mother has, she's 75, almost to be 76, and she has, a, I believe it's called creatinine at 2.7. Uh-huh. I would like to know what stage does that put her at for kidney disease? You said she's 70? 75, she's almost 75. 76. Yeah. So creatinine is something that uh, physicians and uh, your, you know, your providers will check uh, on a blood test. And that's a substance that your kidneys get rid of. Uh, So if they're working uh, appropriately, it's going to be a lot lower. And if your kidneys aren't filtering that substance out, it's going to be a lot higher. So you've got creatinine in your body as a normal breakdown product. But it's sort of one of the tests, not the only test, but one of the tests that we use to uh, try to assess kidney function. As you get older, you lose part, you know, you lose these little nephrons. A nephron is the is the component of the kidney that helps to filter everything out. And you've got about a million, million point two five nephrons in each kidney. Uh, that number decreases by about 1% per year or about age 55 or so you start to lose those. So creatinine does go up a little bit as you get older. Um, a creatinine of around 2 to 2.5, there's a staging system for um, for kidney uh, chronic kidney disease, uh, and that's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, usually, if you're in the 2 to 3 range, that's a range where you're going to want to control any of the other factors that are damaging the kidneys. That usually, the, the two biggest ones are uh, high blood pressure and uh, diabetes, although there are many other things that could, you know, damage the kidneys over time. If you take chronic uh, Advil or ibuprofen, uh, any kind of NSAID chronically, that can damage the kidneys over time. So you want to be careful with that. Your physician would give you sort of a list of things that you want to avoid at that point. And again, they're going to try to control the blood pressure, control diabetes uh, as best they can. Once you get to about a stage three or four, they may want you to go ahead and see a kidney specialist. And again, this is uh, a good idea. You know, if you have chest pain that your physician thinks that you might have uh, angina or it might be from your heart, they're going to send you to a heart doctor. Kidney disease, you need to be seeing a kidney doctor. And again, that's to make sure that you don't have one of these other things that are going on, more rare things that can be reversible sometimes uh, with the kidney damage and that you're doing everything you need to do. Uh, I've, I, it, it depends on, you can't just go by the number though, Renee. Uh, I would I would estimate your, th- that they're probably between a stage three or four chronic kidney disease, but that's sort of an estimate. It has to do with how much they weigh. Uh, there's a complex, uh, you know, uh, what ethnicity that changes things sometimes uh, about what stage they are. Um, so, you know, I'm just taking sort of an estimate there. It's probably stage three or four. That's about the, the point where I would say with my patients, you know, you probably need to just, just get a, a consult of a, of a kidney doctor, a nephrologist. Okay. And one more question now. Is there a difference between kidney damage and kidney disease? Uh, it's a gray line. Uh, both of those are not quite as specific as some other things. So chronic and acute, acute being, you know, something that just happens. And uh, for instance, you can, uh, if I, any age, you can have acute kidney damage that happens from an insult to it. So the kidneys uh, depend on a constant blood supply and uh, that they filter things. So if you think about that, a filter has to have that pressure in it. They have to have a certain blood supply. So if you go out and you're working outside and you get really, really, really dehydrated, 
or you're doing a lot of activity at any age, you can have an acute kidney injury just because your blood supply to the kidney decreases uh, when you get dehydrated. You can recover um, most, if not all, of that function back if you get dehydrated. So there are other things, too, that can injure the kidney. Sometimes medications can do that. Uh, sometimes there are uh, autoimmune processes like lupus is one of those that with lupus flares, you can have acute kidney injury, but you can also have a chronic kidney injury from a lot of different things. So that's, you know, kidney damage is not very specific. And, uh, you know, you, that, that's a lot of the ways that we talk to patients uh, sometimes can be confusing and we're not as specific because we're sort of grasping at how do we, you know, how do you change the doctor language that we understand, you know, that this is acute on chronic stage three kidney disease. Uh, how do you how do you interpret that for different people? So ask. So so I would ask a lot of questions and, um, you know, just say, hey, you know, what stage is this? What does that mean? What are some of the things we can do to slow this down? Uh, I will say, you know, in the in your 70s and you have stage three or even stage four kidney disease, you can live like that for 10, 15 years sometimes. It all depends on how you got there and what kind of risk factors you have. Okay. All right. Thank you. Explain the well. Oh, yes, ma'am. Hope hope we did. That's what we try to do here. Thank you for calling. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Edward from Jackson. Good morning, Edward. Hey man, how you doing today? Good. Thanks for calling. Listen, uh March the eighth will be about twelve years of my transplant. Oh, that's great. And, uh, what what type of transplant? Kidney? Kidney transplant. Yeah. And uh, the first six months after I had the transplant, my labs were kind of sketchy. So I spent a lot of time on the Internet, and uh, all my labs now are perfect. I mean, oh, that's you know, great. and everything else. The main reason for that is I quit eating beef, chicken, and pork. Those things are like putting premium gasoline in the lawnmower. You don't need that stuff. I, I, I use ground turkey and shrimp and tilapia for my meat sources and, you know, naturally the vegetables and fruits, whatever would go like that. I like to make a lot of soups and stews and stuff like that. But beef, chicken, and pork, all that fat is just so hard for your kidney to process. And uh, I was 190 pounds when I had my transplant. Now I'm 165. I'm not, you know, I'll be 75 uh, uh, this coming April. And I get out and crawl into the cars. That's my hobby, building cars. And I get out there and jack them up and take them apart and throw parts here and there. And, you know, I hate to ruin somebody's industry, but uh, beef beef, and, <laughs> and, and, and pork is, are killers. Well, uh, Edward, we love to hear success stories, and it sounds like you're one of them. And uh, that's one of the misconceptions by a lot of people. I think if you're in that position – you know, a lot of times of, of being faced with a, and certainly kidney tra- transplant is one of those really big success stories. We've gotten really good at doing that. There's a team approach. Uh, we've gotten better at, uh, you know, with our donors of kidneys and how to identify them better. Uh, lots of things go into a success story like yours. You've mentioned a couple of those things that you have to do, though. I mean, that's one of the best things, best outcomes is if, as a patient, you take responsibility for those things and change those things that might damage your kidney. So hats off to you, Edward. That's a great example for other people. Uh, and, um, you know, that's just uh, goes to show you, you can do a lot, even if you're faced with a lot of big challenges with your own health. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning, and uh, we are taking your calls. Uh, any kind of health complaints or uh, things that maybe have snuck up on you. Maybe it's a new medication that you're taking. Maybe you don't understand exactly how it works, and we'll take a shot at it or point you in the right direction. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Kay in Memphis. Good morning, Kay. How are you this morning? I, I think I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I called early so I would be able to say what I need to say. Sure. And not have to stop. Um, there's another K for known as K here from Memphis, and so I'm just uh, telling that K. I get get you another name so I'll know who. who. <laughs> See, I'm no founder gave me the name of Chainsaw K. It had to do with some gardening, and he told me to get somebody to cut. I said, I'll just get my damn chainsaw out and cut it myself. All right, keep it clean and there, so, Kay. Keep it clean. Yeah, I'm sorry. What's, I'm what's sorry. your what's I'm, your I'm health? Sorry, yeah, yeah, what's yeah, your health care yeah, okay. question there? Okay, well, I don't have a question. I want to tell you. All right. Okay, you know, last week a lady called in and she was uh, concerned. I think she'd been put on cumin, and she did, she's a vegetarian, and if she gave up her her greens, well, you know, she right. was very concerned about that. Right. Okay, I did get the list. Now I'm sure that there are other lists, but my nurse found, and I didn't even know there was such a list. But about two three months after I was put on uh, my warfarin, I got this in the mail, and it is a list that it's it's. Uh, under patient education, and I online, I guess you can get a copy, Lexicomp, C-O-M-P, online. Right. And mm-hmm. um, the vitamin K diet. Yep. But it, anyway, I, I just I made a quick list last night of some of the things. Turnip green, yeah, I'm an old country girl. I grew up on all this stuff. But um, eliminating all of those, there's still so many. You know, you have green cabbage, um Black eyed pea, okra, green leaf, asparagus, lettuce, snap beans, carrots, soybeans, tomatoes. You know. Yeah, you're right. There's there's a lot of stuff out there that has vitamin K in it. Um, so I, what I tell my patients is, look, you don't have to cut everything out, but you need to be consistent. For instance, right, if right. you like your greens, 
eat your greens every day in about the same amount. And yes, uh-huh. you can always increase your physician or whoever's monitoring your, your Coumadin and your INR. Yeah, my INR. That, they can adjust that medication dose to, to overcome that. It's just the inconsistencies is what gets you into into trouble. Like if you're yeah. eating, you know, greens couple of times a week just eat them every day you know if that's yeah. what you like or at least have about the same amount because uh, i've i've known people who were controlled on two and a half milligrams of cumin and i've also seen people you know who were controlled on 20 milligrams of cumin a day so yeah. Yeah. it is a wide range but i just tell people to be consistent i mean you're not right. going to cut everything out of your diet probably that has vitamin k and that's okay um, yeah. But just having some consistency to that. So. Well, I, I, I like to go by uh, what is best for my body without having to take uh, yeah. medication to undo what I'm doing to it. You know? Sure, absolutely. So, yeah. But there, um, now, I, I did not, I, I know it says the doctor will give you a copy, but my doctor, well, that's what I get for knowing so darn much, and I got talking to him about my brother was on Coumadin and so forth. And I guess he thought I knew everything about it, so I didn't get a patient <laughs> um, food list or anything of the yeah, sort. It's, it's always good to ask, and, you know, we yeah. I think we mentioned this last week, too. Ask your pharmacist, because they can, they can point you in the right direction. Well, that, that's what I was <clears> going to tell you. I asked my pharmacist, and they didn't have one. So I said, would you like to have one? And so I took mine up there, and he made copies for them to have. <laughs> that's so. good. Well, you know, I, I I I I just do that kind of thing. Sure. There was there was something I don't know now. I've forgotten what what it was. Um, but oh, um, I don't know whether this. Well, anyway, your doctor should uh, give it to you. But I don't think my brother ever had one. Of course, that was years ago, and um, and they just didn't think about giving me one. And I just got it in the mail one day. So just be sure to ask. And it is, but this one is broken down into about five different categories. Yeah. Starting with the ones you should not eat or very limited. And I know this is based on a, one cup. Um, and, but I, we, I was always told one half cup. But I can do it. Lord, there's a lot of good things besides turnip greens and mustard. And sure. All, all, all of that. I'm an old country girl, and we, we ate out of our garden. Well, I, I enjoy those foods, too. Thankfully, I am not on Coumadin. But, uh, Kay, thank you, thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, certainly that's, uh, that's a lot of uh, good information for people out there. A lot of people are on Coumadin. And um, it's certainly uh, you want to have those discussions with your doctor. Yeah, I, and, again, I try. That's just my realistic way, I guess, of thinking about it. Because, you know what, if you like you know certain types of foods, you're probably going to eat it. Same thing with, with diets that are low in fat, low in salt. Uh, certainly there, there are situations where those are even more important that you stick to those, but every once in a while, it's probably not going to be a big deal to deviate from that a little bit, but talk to your physician about that. It's going to depend on what kind of conditions you have. For instance, heart failure, you have to be very careful with things like salt. Um, but if it's cumin, again, consistency is sort of the, the, the route that I try to adhere to. All right, let's go to Willie in Humphrey County. Good morning, Willie. Good morning. Thanks Good morning. for thanks for calling. Thank you. Look, let me ask you a question. Uh, what I'm what I'm interested in, I got some swelling. Uh I'm I'm a diabetic and I'm I got uh uh <clears throat> my left leg has been amputated and uh on the bottom of that thing is swelling. 
So it's in the leg that's been amputated. Is that right? You're right. Hey, hey, Willie, do me a favor. Turn your radio down because we're getting some feedback there. Feedback. Yeah. Okay. If you turn turn your radio down. All right. So, um, all right, there we go. So, uh, basically, uh, so if it's swelling in the amputated uh, leg, it could be a number of things. The the nerves that when you have an amputation, a lot of times those nerves that normally control things like, you know, if you go outside and it's cold, you may not see those those veins in your arms or your legs don't sort of pop out. They sort of constrict uh, to help regulate your temperature. Um, if you have an amputation at that at end point that you're left with at this at the amputation stump, you're not going to have a whole lot of of normally functioning veins sometimes. So that can be an issue. Sometimes there's an issue with the actual tissue and tissue healing. So you can have things like seromas. You can have uh, lots of of differences in the way that those tissues heal that may need to be investigated. Willie, in the, in the, in the leg itself. It's about two thirds, you know, right at that stump uh-huh. area, and it's 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 it's, uh, it's kind of like a blister. It's got a big kind of blister area there. So I can still get my my prosthetic on, but uh, that blister that that been there like like two weeks is like two thirds of it. The, the whole kind of bottom area of it, you know. Okay, that may be something different, Willie. So what you need to do is you need to tell your physician so they can get you in a wound care clinic uh, because that that stump at the end of that amputation, that's going to have, it's going to be more prone to more friction and more pressure on it. This doesn't sound like what I was talking about originally. Now, if it's a blister looking like that, it may be something else. And you don't want that to get infected just because that's that may, you know, that may compromise uh, that may compromise your your leg that you got left. So if you haven't brought that to your physician's attention, if it's been going on two weeks, I'd go ahead and do that. And they may want you in a wound care clinic. There are these uh, multi-specialty clinics now that look at that. They look at blood flow. They can check and make sure you got enough blood flow to that area and look and directly look at that, that blister to see exactly what it could be. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, but I wouldn't. But I, wouldn't I wouldn't wait wouldn't on it wait just on because it. it, you know, it has a chance to get infected. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. I think I probably need to get in and see the doctor. You're exactly You're right, Willie. Right, All, All right. right Thanks so much. Sure. Thank you for calling. Uh, yeah. If you, just a, a word out there to people: if you call in, you got your radio on, just go ahead and turn it down, and you can just listen over the phone because we do have little bit of a delay and there's a little bit of feedback there uh that in in the call and uh if you've ever there's a game out there i can't remember what the name of the game is my sister made us play this game uh where you talk and you hear yourself talk at like it's a delay and it's in, almost in, impossible to do that so i it's it's a it's a challenge to to talk if you can hear yourself doing that this is southern remedy dr jimmy live with you this morning and uh taking your calls uh if you want to call in with your medical question or maybe a comment of something somebody else said not really any kind of particular topic today uh doesn't have to be something that we've talked about but you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four we're going to go to jackie next good morning jackie Hey there. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Um, 
one day last week, somebody called in about their hand was going to sleep when they would go when when they would sleep or, yeah. or at nighttime. And and I'm real interested in that, and I missed the I missed what you told them about it. Would you repeat what you said? Yeah, if I remember correctly, this was somebody who their hand went to sleep, like just like you mentioned. Um, uh, it was both hands in this case, and um, uh, a lot, almost always, you know. And you have to qualify this, like like you ask people, what does that mean going to sleep? And you want to make sure that you know exactly what that is. Most of the time, it's Almost everybody has experienced this. You know, you're like your leg goes to sleep. This happens to me if I'm sitting down for a long time. And then you get up and you can't feel your leg. It's like it's numb or you may have that tingling sensation in it. Same kind of thing can happen uh, it, with your arm, your entire arm or your hands at night. Uh, usually this is a direct compression of the peripheral nerves that go to the hands. And there are three main nerves. They branch out once they get to the hand, but there's three main nerves. There's a median nerve, the uh, ulnar nerve, and a radial nerve. And those three nerves control the movement of the hand. They also control the sensation of the hand. And if they're compressed uh, in any way for long periods of time, you basically uh, can have that numbness feeling. And usually you just reposition it, and then it comes right back. It can be further up particularly if you have numbness in your arms or shoulders and it's bilaterally. You always have to think about the neck. Is there a compression there? Uh, But most of the time, if it's just that far out, it can be, you know, just from that nerve compression. There are some other things that can cause that, uh, particularly if it doesn't go away and it's not just at night. But that's usually it's a simple thing that you can address at night. When people, when we sleep, everybody, you know, we move throughout the night. You may have seen, seen video of this when people move around at night. There are all kinds of different ways. Some people say, well, I sleep on my side or I sleep on my back. If you actually videoed that throughout the night, you sleep all over the place and move around a good bit. But sometimes uh, you'll get in a position where your, your wrist is sort of kinked. So it's either flexed or extended, most of the time flexed, and you'll kink off. That's sort of when you would kink off those nerves. What I recommended last week is trying a um, a wrist splint, uh, and that keeps the hand in a neutral position at night. You can get these at just about any drugstore or uh, medical supply company. You don't have to have a prescription for those. You don't want it really, really tight, but you just want it enough that it's going to keep that hand in that neutral position. And a neutral position is if you reach out and pick up a cup, Uh, so you reach out with your hand and you pick out a cup, that's the neutral position of the hand. So it's not hyperextended or it's not, um, you know, not flex. The other thing is overuse injury. Sometimes if you're at a keyboard for long periods of time, you want to make sure your wrist isn't kinked again in a funny position that's causing that, uh, that can have problems at night. A, A lot of other people get this, particularly if they gain a lot of weight or, Uh, Pregnancy is another time period. It's very common to have carpal tunnel syndrome, which is the median nerve, one of those three nerves that's uh, that's compressed during uh, during pregnancy. So uh, if it persists after that, I would see a probably a hand surgeon if you can get to one or a neurologist and uh, they might can uh, do some further testing just to make sure. A couple of other things that can cause that same sensation I mentioned earlier, uh, vitamin deficiencies, particularly B12 can do that. Uh, diabetic neuropathy sometimes can do that. But the wrist splint, if it's just happening at night, I would try that first. It's a simple, easy thing to do, and if it gets better, that's great. Well, 
Oh, I appreciate it so much. Thank yeah. you for repeating all that. Oh, sure, Jackie. And, uh, you know, just for everybody else out there, if you if you miss something on Southern Remedy, uh, go to MPB Online, and we archive those shows so you can go back, like if you missed the, the you know, the last half of what somebody was asking or an explanation of it because you had to go in, get out of the car, do something else, uh, or, you know, you're at work and um, you need to get back to doing what you're doing, uh, then uh, you can always go to to the uh, archive. Uh, I've, there's a little bit of a delay, a couple of days probably to a week of a delay on there. And uh, Kevin's saying one day. We, we are efficient on getting it up there. Kevin's like, no, no, one day. <laughs> so uh, go back and look at the archive, and you can pull it up and uh, and listen to that uh, and, you know, get get all of the uh, answers. But uh, certainly want everybody to be able to do that. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and talking about all kinds of good stuff from kidney disease to uh, vitamin K to peripheral neuropathies and Anything that you have in mind, that's what makes this show great for me, is that uh, all the content is driven by you for the most part. We'd like to catch you up to date on a couple of different things and uh, as they come up and as we have, uh, you know, just some uh, different, uh, different things that may be in the news that is affecting your health. Uh, but for the most part, most of what we talk about is directly related to something that you're interested in. So give us a call this morning with whatever that might be, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, I get this question in clinic, particularly about from parents who have concerns about their um, uh, kids and adolescents in particular on their social media use. So what do we know about social media use and its effects? Um, and I'll say right off the bat, we don't know everything about that. There's a lot of associations, which means we can't prove a cause and effect a lot of times. Uh, but there is a lot of evidence that staying on your phone or social media, things like, I'm not picking on anyone, but Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, lots of different things like that. Um, it is interesting that uh, in the early to mid-2000s till today, we've seen a huge increase in kids and teens who come to the hospital with suicidal thoughts or, uh, or attempts. It's almost doubled between 2008 and 2015 in the U.S. 
Um, there's a lot of overdose rates uh, for those uh, adolescents age 10 to 18. Uh, they had previously been on the decline, and then something happened around 2011 to 2018, particularly among teenage girls. And uh, although you can't blame it totally, I don't think, on social media, there are a lot of negative effects. There's some really good research out of Canada and the U.S. that looked at uh, prospectively. There was another one in Germany that which looked at you know, kids who spent more time on Facebook were more prone to negative states such as envy, insecurity, uh, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Um, and that can, over time, that can really impact your mental well-being. Uh, now, do you need to just do without it? I think we're all linked up to uh, certainly the Internet for the rest of our lives. Most everybody uh, relies on that uh, for, uh, you know, for things that you do. A lot of people rely on it for work. I know I do. But uh, there is a lot to be said about disconnecting and having a healthy uh, time that you can interact with other people, particularly if an adolescent. That is critical to an adolescent's normal de- mental de- development and behaviors, social behaviors develop during those times. And uh, if you're on social media and that's your main way of communicating, that is not a healthy way to do it. So recommendations from Dr. Jimmy is talk to your adolescents about that. Ask them how they feel when they're on social media. I think if they start to have, uh, you know, because you want to empower them to make healthy choices when they're adults. Uh, But addiction to social media is a thing. Uh, A lot of adults that are addicted to it, too. So uh, just something to think about. Uh, Healthy uh, stepping back and sort of fasting from that. I try to do that on a weekly basis from uh, from my phone Uh, can uh, can be great and it can help you uh, have some time to reconnect to your family and to others. All right. We're going to go to Jim in Olive Branch. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. How are you doing this morning? I love your show, my man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a diabetic. About a year ago, I started having a problem in my uh, right shoulders, and it was like really a sharp pain. So I went to my physician, and he referred me to uh, a neurosurgeon doctor in Memphis. So I went ahead, and he done all the testing in my nerve and, you know, make sure every, the blood and everything is fine. He couldn't find something, so he referred me also to a pathologist surgeon, like a bone doctor. So I went and visited him, and he told me I have what's called a frozen shoulder. Mm. And and uh, he gave me, I mean, I went to visit him twice. He gave me the first time a shot in my uh, joint, like between my arm and my shoulder. And I felt okay, and he gave me another one about three months ago, but I still feel some pain. Uh, sometimes I cannot really reach, you know, something high, like I want to, you know, reach something, or sometimes you want to, like, scratch my back. Right. I still have some really sharp pain. What's a frozen shoulder? I mean, I couldn't understand the terms he said it's a frozen shoulder. Yeah. So frozen shoulder, uh, the fancy doctor name for it is adhesive capsulitis, okay? So your your shoulder joint is a, as most people can, if you think about it, is a very mobile joint. So you, the arm can articulate, just that's just a fancy word for moving around, in a lot of different directions, it gives you the mobility with your upper extremities, a whole lot more than lower extremities, 
just because they're designed a little bit differently. Well, because of that, you can have injury to that over time. That can either be an injury that happens all at once, or maybe it's a chronic sort of wear and tear arthritis injury. If you get to a point where that injury where you don't move the arm, which is why physical therapy is extremely important uh, after an injury, then you'd start to develop scar tissue in that joint space, and it can be severe enough to where you can't move the arm very much. Or if you do move it, you've got so much scar tissue there that it's interfering and causing you the pain that you're having. Um, Injections, which are mainly steroid-based injections, a lot of times they'll mix that with an anesthetic, and it can give you a lot of relief. Uh, that's yeah. that's designed to uh, to uh, cut down on that infl- inflammation that you have and those that yeah. fibrous tissue that develops there. Sometimes surgery can help, but I'll I'll say you know in talking to my surgeon friends, not always. It's a difficult uh, condition to deal with over time. If you haven't been to physical therapy, I would request it. Uh, because they can help you at least preserve what motion you have in that shoulder and maybe even give you some more. Um, But the main thing is keep talking to your orthopedic surgeon. That's the person who's going to be the best suited to deal with it. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. All right, Jim. Thank you for calling. Uh, yeah, that's uh, adhesive capsulitis is one of the it's it's a lot easier to deal with rotator cuff tears and injuries than it is that. Um, let's go to Janet. Good morning, Janet. Good morning. Um, I'm on the road and I happen to catch your show and I really like it. It's very informative. Oh, thank you, Janet. Thank you for uh, listening this morning. Okay, so I am a 65 year old female veteran and I regularly train for and compete in triathlons. So I'm about five feet four. I weigh 165. So by any BMI, I'm uh, on the overweight part of the scale. So when I turned 65, I went to my primary physician and had a physical. And the only contraindications I had, a little low on vitamin D, and my overall cholesterol was about 220. So he prescribed a statin, which I am now taking. I have not had any side effects, but really don't like some of the side effects that come with a statin, uh-huh. even though I haven't experienced any. And I was, my question to you, if I lost about 10 or 15 pounds, would that help me in getting my cholesterol under control and get me off the statin? Yeah, it might. Um, now, there's there's other things in there rather than the total cholesterol that are important. In fact, the the how we use statins now, statins are a, it's a HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors. Now, obviously, we don't say that all the time because it's hard to say. So statins are things like Crestor, Lipitor, or their generic uh, Torvastatin. Anything that ends in that, that's in that same class. And basically, they're cholesterol medications, but really what we're most interested in is decreasing the risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So that's heart attack and stroke are the two biggest ones, but also peripheral vascular disease. Um, So that's what we really prescribe them for is to decrease the risk of stroke or heart attack. So I would say uh, I would make sure that they, they made the decision to put you on that based on your total risk score. So there's a a way of plugging the information into a calculation that takes into account things like your systolic and diastolic blood pressure, whether you're being treated for high blood pressure, uh, whether you're male or female, 
um, the LDL cholesterol and the non-HDL cholesterol, all those different things get plugged in along with uh, some more, whether you're a smoker or not. And based on that, uh, that calculates a risk. And if the risk is higher than about 75 to 8% over a 10-year period, um, then that would be a reason to have a discussion about a statin. Uh, there are some things that don't fit into that but are important to consider, like family history is extremely important. So if you told me, hey, I've got five brothers and they all had heart attacks below age 60 or age 55, then that may be a reason to do some other testing and then to consider a statin. But back to your original question, losing weight, is, will that help improve your cholesterol? Yeah, it can, uh, although cholesterol is more tied to genetics than about any other risk factor. But you're obviously, if you're doing triathlons, you're very healthy. Uh, there may be, you know, you may need to relook at some of those risk factors um, to make sure that you, you, you really need that statin. I think that's a, you're the kind of patient I would have that conversation with and then relook at things maybe after a little bit of weight loss. Uh, but again, I wouldn't just put somebody on a statin with a cholesterol of 220. I'd want to know what their LDL was. I'd want to know what those other risk factors are and then calculate that risk. Okay, um, thank you. And you're right, I do. All of my other indications are good. My blood pressure is great. Um, I probably, I exercise at least four days a week, 30-mile bike rides, five-mile runs, open-water swim. So I like my overall health condition. I just really don't like the idea of taking a statin. So yeah. I will yeah, I'd have, work I, on my weight loss. Yeah, I'd have that discussion with them. And unless your LDL was, say, over, you know, if it was under 130, honestly, with what you just told me, your risk is probably going to be pretty low. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning and a lot of good calls. Uh, great things to talk about this morning. We're going to go straight to it. Uh, we're going to go to Libby in Jackson. Good morning, Libby. Morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Thank you for taking my call. I'm calling because I was diagnosed last week with Bell's palsy. Uh-huh. And I want to find out the best way to deal with this. Do I need to go to a specialist? Uh, I, was, I went to the emergency room that morning, uh, last Thursday morning, with my mouth twisting. I thought I was having a stroke. Uh-huh. And, of course, they diagnosed me with Bell's palsy because my blood pressure was fine. I was not having any uh, issues with my arms as far as numbness or anything like that. 
So, but they did not recommend that I go to a specialist or to go to therapy. So I was calling to see, how should I do this? Do I need to go back to work? My face is still twisted. My speech is uh, impaired. Uh, My vision, my eyes are still kind of twitching. How should I deal with this? Yeah, I, I think your your instincts that you're you're saying there, Libby, are, are dead on. I think you need to get uh, get somebody else to look at you. How many days out are you right now? From... I've been off work since last Thursday. Okay, this happened last Thursday morning. Yep, I would I would see a physician who feels at least comfortable in doing a you know evaluation. And things are different, you know. Think when you present to an ER, uh, a lot of times those symptoms would go away in 24 hours, 48 hours, maybe a little bit longer. But in, I, I would go see somebody who's has at least a little bit of experience with Bell's palsy. And if they don't, they can send you to a neurologist. So a neurologist would be the definitive person, and they may want to start you on some medication. Usually, this is a uh, an immune related response. Um, so a lot of people will have, you know, if you really think about it, they're like, oh, well, I may have had a cold or may have had, you know, a viral infection about a week or two earlier, uh, or within a month of that, uh, that may have caused your immune system to sort of mount up this response. Uh, there's some ways to treat that. Um, I, you're at the time period where early treatment would be better than waiting, uh, okay. because if it is going to linger, you want to try to, you know, get a lot of that function back and then make sure again, if it's been going on for more than a week, um, or almost a week, that's, that's, uh, you know, just want to make sure that it's not something else going on, but I would go see your physician, whether that's family physician or internal medicine or somebody like that, that, that is experienced with Bell's palsy, get them to see you first. If they feel comfortable treating it, that's okay. But a neurologist would be the definitive person that I would want to see if it were me. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Sure. Sure. Thank you for calling. Uh, going to go to Larry in Jackson. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, sir. Uh, seem to be. I'm having a problem with my right side around my rib cage here. I've been going on for about a week. Uh, when I go upstairs or come downstairs or move, make a certain movement, it stings. It don't actually hurt, but it stings. Does it hurt when you have, like, your clothes rub up against it, or is it just uh, when you move? No, nothing like that. Yeah. And so, Larry, a couple of things it could be. um, So, uh, you know, nerves come to – it just depends. When we talk to medical students and medical residents, I always say think about anatomy and physiology. In other words, where things are in the body and how they – work in that area. So when you say on your side, and particularly if it's a stinging type pain, I can think of all kinds of things that are there, like muscles and tendons. Uh, and, and because usually around your trunk, uh, your midsection, because we move so much, uh, those are places where you can have a muscle strain, a muscle pull. There could be a problem with the nerves there. Sometimes things like... Um, like uh, shingles can present there too, and sometimes it can present in different ways that feel sort of stingy like that. Uh, Larry, I'm presuming there's not like that you've looked at it in the mirror and it doesn't look like you have any kind of rash or anything there, right? No. Yeah. I, it, I, I would say as much as you can rest for a couple of days. If it's still there, you need to probably get somebody to check that out. Occasionally it can be things that are a little bit deeper underneath the skin, um, but uh, I, I would have them examine you and put you through those same movements that you're talking about to see if there's something there that may be, 
you know, pushing on a nerve or, or causing that pain when you turn. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for calling. Yeah, that, that's a um, that's a hard one when you have other stuff there. Particularly the the chest and abdomen are places where you have to be. Uh, you really have to have a good exam matched up with a good history to try to figure out exactly what's going on with somebody because there's so many different things that could be happening. Uh, and as, a lot of times they have to sort of declare themselves over time. So you may have those symptoms for a week, maybe even longer before you really get to figuring out. You know, and there's some other symptoms that that pop up with it. Uh, but uh, that's that's about the time that you need a pretty decent exam. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.